Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Hey everybody, good morning and welcome to Coastal Community Church. I know you were worried about me last night at the Clemson game, worried if I was like, you know, had some heart issues or anything last night, but uh, but we came through and I'm doing great and uh, kinda, I'm already uh, praying about next Sunday, <laughs> next Saturday's game against Notre Dame, uh, but we'll see. Uh, anyway, great to have you with us today. Beautiful day here in Charleston. Uh, supposed to get up like 75 today, but tomorrow morning it's 44. 44. Wow. Uh, it's going to be a little chilly, but I think it only lasts for like a day. Uh, that, that, there's our fall, our winter, I think, tomorrow morning. Um, hey, I know a lot of you, we got a lot of uh, connect cards and comments last week. You're deeply concerned about Pastor Scott and his eating habits after last week, right? Uh, we got a lot of comments back on that, you know, his, his disdain for vegetables. But what he didn't tell you is that the problem, with, the problem that Scott has with vegetables is that he grew up watching one too many veggie tales, and now he just won't have anything to do with vegetables. Anyway, glad that you're with us here today. Hey, next Sunday, uh, we actually have a newcomer's uh, reception immediately after the second service. And uh, so if you're new to Coastal, in fact, if you're new online, if you've been uh, uh, following us online and kind of checking us out online during this uh, during this season, uh, we would encourage you to sign up as well. And you'll, just as you're watching the service right now online, uh, we'll be filming our newcomer's reception and would love for you to join us. And typically we tell people that are in the first service, you know, you have to come back uh, to the reception, but you don't have to do that. You just go home, uh, pull us up online, and uh, you'll be able to watch, be a part of the newcomer's thing there. But please sign up so that uh, we'll encourage you and remind you to do that. Um, today we are in uh, part seven of this series called Hope in the Dark. I want you to think about something for just a moment with me. Um, those very first Christians, okay, 2,000 years ago, did not have any of the things that we have today at our disposal as far as advertising goes, okay? You know, they didn't have uh, invite cards, bumper stickers, Christian t-shirts, Facebook ads, social media, yard signs, billboards, none of that. They didn't have uh, mega churches, you know, with celebrity pastors and huge television ministries. They didn't have big, beautiful buildings to bring all their friends to every weekend. And they didn't have the internet, right, to broadcast their services to the masses at home. And yet, amazingly, in Acts 2.47, we read this. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Wow, not every week, not every month, but every single day, people were giving their lives to Jesus and being added to their number. Now, how in the world did they do that? I mean, what, what facilitated that? They did it with the best form of advertising that still works to this day a changed life. Lives being changed, just, just regular, everyday people who have been totally, radically transformed and changed by Jesus, and then who can't help but share that with the people in their lives, you know, where they live, work, parent, and play, as we say here at Coastal. And so what did they share? They shared their hope. They shared the hope that they have. You know, life is tough sometimes. Would you agree with that? You know, for many of you, it has been a tough eight months. Some of you have had so many things hit you all at once that you've been at the point of despair and feeling hopeless. In fact, it feels in many ways like the hope has been kicked right out of you. 
Many of you are hopeless about a marriage. Some of you are hopeless about ever going to get married. Some of you are hopeless about having a child. Some of you feel hopeless about the child that you do have. Some of you are hopeless about a financial situation, about an illness, about COVID, about our nation. Maybe you feel hopeless that you are in a situation right now that just feels like it is never, ever going to change. In fact, it's possible that you've gotten burned so many times that you have learned not to get your what up? Your hopes. But if you're in Christ, you can always be hopeful. And you always have something to share. Ephesians 2.12, in fact, says this. It tells us the reason for our hope. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. Listen to this, man. This is hopeless. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Listen, the reason we have hope when we feel like there's no hope is that we're in Christ. And that's exactly what the early believers shared. That's exactly what believers all through time have shared. They've shared their hope. And that's what I want us to talk about today. You know, normally we talk about sharing our faith. But today I want you to think about it in, in a little bit different term. I, I want you to think about it in terms of sharing your hope. You know, when we share our faith, typically what we're doing is we're, we're looking back, at least initially. We look back and we say, okay, I have come to believe that God created the world, so I believe there's a God. I believe that Jesus was an historical figure. He came, he lived, he died, he was crucified, and I also believe that he resurrected. And so I believe in Jesus. And there was a time in my past when I, you know, maybe I hit rock bottom and I looked up to God and God reached down to me. And he saved me. So typically when we share our faith, we are looking back on those you know, critical events in history or in our life that give us faith in the first place. But I don't want you to forget today that there is a future part to our faith. There is a hopeful part. Hebrews 11.1, 1, in fact, ties faith and hope together this way. Listen to this. Faith shows the reality of what we, what? Hope for. It is the evidence of the things we cannot see. So when we share our faith, when we share our hope, we are saying to a lost and dying world, here is why I am confident. Here's why I am optimistic in a world whose future looks so bleak. When we share our hope, we're looking ahead, we're looking forward. And everyone has hopes, right? I mean, we hope that the economy is going to turn around. We hope that maybe someday we'll get a better job. We hope that our kids will turn out okay. We hope that Carolina will win a football game. We hope, you know, that we'll meet Mr. Wright or Miss Wright. We hope for a cure for this virus. We hope that somehow, someway, our lives are going to get better and not be riddled with so many of the problems that you might have right now. But the problem with so many of the world's hopes, as many as they might have, is that they really don't have much of a foundation. I mean, what guarantee is there really that the next major hurricane that comes is not going to hit Charleston? 
What guarantee do you have that your life really is going to get better? What guarantee do you have that there won't be another virus? What, what guarantee do you have? You know, the world's hopes really don't amount to much more than just good old wishful thinking. But for us, you know, for followers of Jesus, our hope is different. Now, so here's, here's a good definition of a, of a Christian's hope. Here it is. Write this down. An optimistic outlook based on powerful promises. An optimistic outlook based on powerful promises. Now, the world's definition of hope is simply an optimistic outlook. It really is just a little bit, you know, it's, it's nothing more than wishful thinking. But our optimistic outlook is based on powerful promises. In fact, the Bible says this about a Christian's hope. It is living, it's secure, it's certain. Why? Because the object of our hope as Christians, it's Jesus. I mean, the reason that we, we hope in him is because of the powerful promises that he makes, that he guarantees in his word about how he is still to this day orchestrating all the events in our lives for our good, about how he does have a plan for us, plans to give us a future and a hope. Jesus, right now today, listen to this, he is in heaven in fact, uh, verse 22 of this chapter says this, now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. Jesus right now is in heaven. He has all authority and he is preparing a place for you. And he is orchestrating all the events of our life toward this sovereign end and for our good and his glory. And that is why we have hope. Now, to share our hope with the world around us, though, there are at least four things that Peter says that we need from the passage of Scripture that I want us to look at today. It's found uh, in, in chapter 3, beginning in verse 13 through verse 22. Let's look at what, what he says that we need. Number one, he says we need an undivided heart. An undivided heart. Now, probably one of the most quoted Bible verses uh, when it comes to evangelism or uh, you know, sharing the good news of the gospel is found here in this passage in verse 15. However, typically, they skip over the very first part of this verse 15, which says this, and it's just really short. It says, instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. The New International Version says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. So what's he saying? I mean, why, why bring that up? Well, the word Lord here in the Greek, it means master, ruler, the one in control, the sovereign, the king. In fact, over 600 times in the New Testament, the Bible refers to Jesus as the Lord. Now, what's the significance of that? Well, the early Christians knew exactly what that meant. They knew what the significance was. You see, they were being required at that time to say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is the one in control. He's the king. He's the sovereign. And when they were being rounded up and arrested and tortured and put to death for their faith, for following Jesus, they were being asked to deny their faith and say, Caesar is Lord. They wouldn't do it. They couldn't do it. They went to their death saying, 
Jesus is Lord. And so Peter is basically reminding them, and guess what? 2,000 years later, reminding us, hey, have an undivided heart. There might become a day when you have to be willing to die for your faith. And there is no other Lord than Jesus. He's describing an undivided heart. And he says it all starts with making Jesus the Lord of your life. So what does it mean for us today? When you say, you know, a lot of times we'll use that phrase, right? You know, Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means at least three things. First of all, it means that I acknowledge that Jesus is God. That he is more than just a, you know, a good man, more than a great teacher, more, and more than all of that. He's God. That's, in fact, what he claimed to be. Secondly, when I say that Jesus is Lord, it means that I believe he has everything under his control. Now, I might not see it. The times in which we live might be crazy. I might not understand what's happening. I might not understand how it's all coming to a sovereign climax. But when I say Jesus is Lord, I am saying I trust him. I might not, you know, understand the future, but I know who holds the future in his hands, and it's Jesus. And so when I say Jesus is Lord, it also means something else. It means I'm committing all of my life to him. Not just part of it, not just part of the week, but all of it. I commit my life to him. He is the sovereign. He is the master, and I am his servant. He calls the shots. So with that context in mind, I want you to listen to Romans 10, 9. Listen to this. If you openly declare what? That Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how important this phrase is. That's what it means. It means to say, Jesus, no one or nothing else is my Lord. I acknowledge the fact that he is God, that he has everything under his control, and I commit all of my life to him. He's my Savior and my Lord. You see, it's possible maybe no one ever asked you to explain the reason for your hope because you're living your life just as hopelessly as the rest of the world. Or you're putting your hope in something else or someone else other than Jesus. You have a divided heart. Number two, we need a personal testimony. We need a personal testimony. Look at the rest of verse 15. Here it is. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Now, for a lot of people today, that's the sticking point, right? I mean, okay, yeah, Pastor Chris, I can have hope, but I mean, share the hope? I mean, I just don't know the Bible that well. I'm not that quick on my feet. I don't think that fast. You know, if I go out there and, you know, I try to, you know, share my hope, there's some skeptic that's going to, you know, tie me up in knots and with some philosophical arguments that, you know, that I can't answer. I mean, having hope is one thing, but then sharing it, I don't, I don't think so. This is the beauty of sharing your hope. 
It's your hope. It's your story. That's what a personal testimony is. It's your story of how you personally came to know Jesus and what a difference he's made in your life. Listen, this is where so many Christians miss this. Peter's not saying here, you need to have a snappy rebuttal for every argument that can be tossed at you. No, he's saying, have a reason for your hope. It's your hope. It's your story. How do you explain your hope? Okay, go back to our definition of hope. Hope is an optimistic outlook based on what? Powerful promises. So you get a couple of promises from God's word. You kind of tuck them in the back of your mind and you apply them to your life and to your situation right now and then you're just ready to share that with somebody else. Let me give you just a, an everyday example, okay? One single mom talking to another single mom. One says, listen, I don't know what I'm gonna do. My kid's out of control. He's never home, you know, um, and, and I don't like the crowd that he's running around with right now. And when he is home, I can't get him to lift a, a finger or give me the time of day. He just locks himself in his room, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, I think he misses a, a father figure in his life, and, and I struggle with this, the, the idea that I can't be everything for my kid that I'm supposed to be all the time. And the second mom says, I know exactly what you mean. I agree, nobody's meant to be a full-time part of the workforce and full-time responsibilities and full-time solo parent at the same time. I can't give my kid everything he needs even if I wanted to. I just don't have that kind of time. But I hang on to the promise of God in his word where he says that he will be a father to the fatherless. And I can tell you countless times where God has come through and done that in my life. So I'm counting on God somehow to compensate for what my ex isn't going to do and what I know that I can't provide. You see, no fancy argument, no, no theological degree. You just take one of the promises of God and you apply it to your situation. Maybe for you it's, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Maybe it's for you that God will supply all my needs according to his glorious riches. You see, you just get that promise of God. Now, let me, a little aside here, guess what? That means you need to know the promises of God. You need to get into God's word. But if you'll do that, then you're ready to share the reason for the hope that you have with somebody else who needs it. It's that simple. And then when your circumstances change, you find a couple of other promises that fit your situation that you're at then, and, and so you're always ready to share the hope that you have. And then some of you today, you know, might push back a little bit and say, ah, yeah, but Pastor Chris, it's really not that easy, especially for me. You know, sure, I think I have an undivided heart. Jesus is my Lord. I, I understand. I have a personal testimony. I know these promises, but I'm just not that kind of person. I'm not that bold. I don't have that personality. I can't really talk openly about that stuff. Well, I want to encourage you today. If you feel like that's you, that you don't have the personality for that, I want you to know something. You know, evangelism and outreach and sharing your faith and sharing your hope, it's not relegated to just the, the bold and outgoing personality types. In fact, most people, you know, personality tests are not bold and outgoing. But here's what I believe. It takes all kinds of people to reach all kinds of people. 
And if you feel like you don't have that personality, I want you to be encouraged by the third thing that Peter says here in this passage that we need. Number three, we need gentleness. Gentleness sincerely expressed. Man, I I think it's awesome that nowhere here in this letter is it found that you need a certain type of personality to share your hope, to remain faithful, to be, you know, to be successful in, in sharing your hope. Verse 16. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Gentleness and respect. Man, I can do that. You can do that. You know, I I can share my hope in a way that is kind and soft-spoken, not pushy and know-it-all. I can be respectful. You can put aside your agenda for a time and listen to somebody else's hurts and needs and their feelings, and you can empathize with them. That's doable. You can share your hope that way. And I actually believe that that is what's so needed today in this world that we live. I mean, if I could think of anything that is extremely overrated in the world in which we live, it is a dynamic, outgoing personality. I mean, we all love to hover around, hover around those types of people, though, right? And I think many times we like to try to project that ourselves, right? You know, I am big, I'm important, and, and the word today is, I'm an influencer. You know, I, I'm, I'm the smartest, shrewdest, wittiest, funniest, coolest, prettiest person in the room. And there's all kinds of people that love to project that today. And listen, if that's ever you or me, The only est that we are is the farthest from the heart of God. The Bible says that God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And if you are so into promoting yourself and your influence, how are you ever going to promote Jesus? I mean, if you always come across as so self-confident, how are you ever going to convince somebody else that your confidence, no matter what happens in this world, ultimately is in the Lord Jesus? If you are so self-assured, how are you ever going to you know, share with anybody that your assurance is really found in God? How do you know if you've got that, that kind of attitude, that the right kind of attitude? It's when Jesus And the word of God is more prominent in your story than you are. That he's still the star of your story. When Jesus and God's word is more prominent than you are. If we're ever going to share our hope in a hopeless world, we need an undivided heart. Jesus is Lord. We need a personal testimony founded on the promises of God. We need gentleness. And number four, we need a courageous perseverance. A courageous perseverance. The whole context of this chapter, of this passage, of you know, always being ready to share the hope that you have, it is set in the context of, you ready for this? Suffering faithfully for Jesus. Suffering well for him, still, you know, living the good life, still doing the right thing for the right reasons. Verses 13 and 14, listen to this. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing good, doing what is right, God will reward you for it. 
So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. And then verse 17, remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. What's he saying there? He is saying that, guys, ultimately, there is nothing, nothing in this world that you and I should be afraid of. This world might take away everything, everything you have, even your own life and the lives of your loved ones. But they can never take away your hope. Because our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not the American dream. And the most powerful testimony that we have I mean, the thing, the thing that is going to cause people, a watching world, to shake their heads in disbelief and then even motivate some of them to ask us the reason for our hope is our willingness to suffer well for Jesus. And so he's saying, guys, don't give up. Don't, don't give up. Persevere. And then to inspire us to keep going, to not give up, Peter gives us a couple examples. And the first one, of course, is Jesus. The, the example, the ultimate example of perseverance. Verse 18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. Now I know. Okay, for those of you who will quickly respond to that and say, yes, but I'm no Jesus, right? Yes, but I'm no Jesus. I mean, Peter gives us another example of perseverance, another example of suffering while doing the right thing. A man by the name of Noah. Noah's the answer to your yes, but. He is. He's just a regular dude. If you, if you read the whole story, man, at the end, he's a little messed up too. Verses 19 and 20, listen to this. So he, talking about Jesus, went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. Now, Really quickly, there's been a lot of uh, theological discussion and debate as to what exactly Jesus was doing where it says that he went and, and preached to the spirits in prison, okay? I'm not going to get into that this morning, but whatever's going on there, it is a reminder to all believers today that Christ's good news of salvation and victory, it's not limited it has been preached in the past as well as in the present. It has gone to the dead as well as to the living. And no one, no one is without excuse. But why Noah? Why bring up Noah? Because Noah is an example of courageous perseverance. I mean, the Bible tells us that Noah lived for 120 years, but he didn't just spend all that time building a big ship. The Bible says that he was actually a, a preacher of righteousness. And so for 120 years, it was just Noah, his shipyard, and a petting zoo. Okay, that's it. And so as a result of that, for 120 years, Noah had to always be ready, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that he had, to give an explanation, a reason as to why there were giraffes in his backyard. And for 120 years, he did that. And amazingly, listen to this, nobody got saved. Nobody turned around. 
Nobody repented. There were only eight people on that ship, and guess what? They were all just Noah's family. In all those years, Noah didn't have one convert other than his own family. But I don't think that should discourage us. In fact, I think it should encourage us for a couple of reasons. Write this down. If Noah didn't have to produce results, neither do we. You know, for 120 years, nobody believed. So was Noah a failure? No, absolutely not. He was one of the greatest men of faith who ever lived. And yet, you know, as we kind of think of results, he didn't produce any. You know, and so I think that's a reminder to us, an encouragement to us that, you know, as believers, as followers of Jesus, it's just our job to share. You know, that's what we're responsible for. But it's God's job to save. You know, it's, it's my job to do the possible. It's God's job to, to do the impossible. You can't save anybody. I can't save anybody. But I can share the reason for my hope and leave the results to God. If Noah didn't have to produce results and he's head up as, held up as one of the great people of faith, then neither do we. We are responsible for sharing. We're just not responsible to do the saving. God does that. Secondly, if Noah can handle the insults, so can we. I mean, Peter says earlier in this passage that, you know, if you're eager to do good and you're sharing your hope in a, in a gentle, respectful way, then who's really going to oppose you? Now, the answer is only the real jerks, right? And he kind of explains that, well, most people even appreciate it, and if they don't accept it, at least they'll appreciate the fact that you're trying to live a good life and you're, you're doing it in a kind and respectful way. And only the real jerks are going to oppose you. Well, guess what? In Noah's day, they were all real jerks. The Bible, in fact, explains it this way, that the thoughts and intentions of every person's heart was only evil all the time. Wow. For 120 years, that's the environment that Noah lived in. Can you imagine the insults that that guy had to endure? But if he can endure it, so can we. Coastal, today, there is a crisis of confidence in our nation. Americans have lost hope. They've lost hope in their leaders. They've lost hope in their schools. They've lost hope in the future. And when you look at the problems that our nation is facing, it seems sometimes that they are overwhelming. So what do we do? What's our responsibility? Well, this week, it just so happens that your privilege and your responsibility is to vote. But let me make it crystal clear that even though you should vote, the hope of this world, it is not in a policy. It is not in a program. It is not in a political party. And believe it or not, it is not in a president. The hope of this world is in the person of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.27 from the Living Bible puts it this way. And this is the secret. Christ in your hearts is your only hope 
of glory. Our hope lies not in who we put in the White House, but who is the Lord of your house. Our hope is not who we put on the Supreme Court, but who we put on the cross in the person of Jesus. You and I, listen to me, we have the hope of this world. We have what this world is looking for and what this world needs. And God is saying to us, to you, to me, share it. Share it. Share it with your neighbor, your coworkers, your family, your friends. Share it at school. Share it where you live, work, parent, and play because the world needs hope. And they're looking for it. And we've got it. So how do you know if you're ready? You're probably never going to feel like it. You're probably never going to feel like you're perfectly prepared. But you'll know you're ready when you're willing to pray this prayer. It's on your outline. God, give me an opportunity this week to share my hope with somebody that needs it. Pretty simple. When you're willing to pray that prayer and ask God to give you that chance, you're ready. God, give me an opportunity this week to share my hope with somebody who needs it. When you're ready and willing to pray that prayer, you're ready. And I promise you this, I guarantee you this, that if you'll open your eyes and your hearts and you'll love well, suffer well for Jesus, God will give you so many opportunities. What about you? Are you ready to do that this week? Guess what? On Wednesday, Jesus will still be on the throne. And he's still calling you and me to share the reason for your hope. In fact, he actually says here in this passage that when people ask, again, I think it's possible that people aren't asking many believers today to share the reason for their hope because we're just living as hopelessly as everybody else or we act like we put our hope in someone or something else. And then what about you personally? Is Jesus your Lord? You believe he's God. You believe He's in control and you trust him and you're ready and willing to give him your life. The Bible says that if you will openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Listen, come home to God right now, right here. You're not here by accident. You're not watching this by accident. He's ready for you to come home. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that one of the marks of this church is that we share our hope. We're ready and willing to explain the reason for our hope to a watching world. I pray, God, that we, uh, we're willing to suffer well for Christ. And if you're here today and you're watching this, you're hearing this, you're here in the room, and you're ready to declare that Jesus is not only your Savior, but he's your Lord. Those, those two go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And if you're ready to make that declaration in your heart right here, right now, God is ready and willing and able to save you, to give you a hope 
to give you a home in heaven, to give you a purpose and a life here and now and for all eternity. Just say it. I believe, I believe that Jesus is Lord. And I ask him to be my Lord today. Thank you, Father. We love you. We pray these things today in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.